Well, here I am again. It's always a pleasure to be back in your city. Uh, however, I, you know, I, I, well, guys usually come and they say that, you know, but I'm here every week. But it's always a pleasure when Pastor George uh, gives me an opportunity to uh, fill his pulpit. Uh, Pastor George and Kathy have gone on a much-needed vacation. Uh, they're in Orlando, and if you've been watching the news, uh, you might need to pray for them. There's some weather headed their way. And uh, it could hit, may not hit, but uh, we'll, we'll pray for them anyway because uh, they're looking for a great time with their family, all their families with them. Um, I want to talk a little bit this morning about choices. Oh, yeah, there it is. It says about choices uh, in Hebrews 11. So if you want to turn your Bibles, open your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Uh, we'll get in there in just a little bit. But, you know, choices are kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you can go to the supermarket today and you can find even products that are labeled choice, you know, top choice, best choice, fresh choice. You know, it, it implies that we have choices in everything that we do. You even had choices this morning when you got up, didn't you? you you've obviously, y'all that are here made the choice to come to church this morning because you had that choice. You could have decided to stay home, but, but uh, praise God, you made that choice to come here. You made a choice on what you wanted to wear this morning. Uh, some of you did better than others, but uh, we're working on that. But uh, you had those choices as well. And choices uh, are kind of difficult sometimes, aren't they? You ever find it hard to make choices? I know I do. And the more things that are offered, the harder it is for me to make choices. It seemed like uh, not too very long ago it was much easier to make choices. Now there's hundreds of choices for everything. And if you don't make the choice fast enough, uh, sometimes the options change. How many of you have iPhones? Okay, a lot of you. You people that have iPhones, keep your hands up. Do you, how many of you have an iPod? Why? Okay. And if you have an iPod and an iPhone and you have an iPad, why? See, one of the things that I found out quite quickly is when I finally got an iPod, and it hasn't been that long ago, I thought, this is great. I can carry my music with me. Then it took me a long time to decide that. I mean, I got one about, you know, six months ago. And then the next month, I got an iPhone. I realized I don't need my iPod anymore. See, if you wait too long, the decisions change, and the decisions are gone. So decisions are getting harder and harder. When I was growing up, it became easy uh, because about the only decision you had to make on a daily basis was paper or plastic. Now, if you live in Southern California, you don't, you don't get that option anymore. It's did you bring your shopping bags with you, or how many do you want to purchase? Because they don't use plastic bags any longer, and they have to buy your bag from us. So the decisions, if you don't make the decisions quite uh, fast enough, uh, you don't have the same options. But you'd think we'd be so practiced as individuals and as Christians that choosing would be easier. Wouldn't you think that way? I mean, that's in our DNA. That's something we have to do. We have to choose. You know, if your parents or grandparents, your children are making choices all the time. A lot of times they're the wrong choices, and you're the first to point that out to them. But it's wired in our DNA that we'll make choices. Do you find it's easy to make those choices, or are you like the fellow that was filling out a job application one day? One of the questions said, do you have trouble making choices? He said, yes and no. 
that's a problem that we're faced with. But I'm here to tell you this morning as we talk about it, Christians have a lot of choices that we have to make. And there are ways that we can be guided in the choices that we have to make. So we first of all have to look at, see, what it takes to make a good decision. What are some of the things it takes to make a good decision? Sometimes it's the research you do. I'm one of those people where I say, I'm going to buy a new car. And some of you know I'm talking about buying a car. I'm talking about uh, replacing my Ford Exploder. But I've been talking, uh, Explorer, I'm sorry. But I've been talking about replacing that Explorer for probably two years now. And so I'm researching all of this stuff. I want to make the right decision. I want to research. I want to see what's the best decision I can possibly make. I get input from different people and information. I want to decide exactly what I'm going to get out of it. What's the advantages of making certain decisions? You know, above all, I think in making our decisions, we can have all the information we need we can do all the research that we could possibly be involved in. We can ask other people about these things, but when it comes right down to it, any decision that you make takes faith. You know, when I uh, drive my car and it makes a funny noise, I stop, I open the hood, I look at all of those things in there, and that's kind of funny in the first place because if I found anything, I'd have no idea what to do with it. But after I'm looking at that a little bit and I find a problem, I have to have faith that someone can fix it. When I get in the car in the first place, I have to have faith that that car is going to take me where I want it to go because I can't handle it myself. There's no way I can do that because I don't know what makes that car tick. Some of you do, but there's probably some things that I'm involved in that you wouldn't know anything about either, and you would have to use faith to do those same things. So that decision, a lot of times, in the little things that we do, takes faith. I'll give you another one. You go to the doctor. Okay, We have a couple of doctors in our congregation. I'm not going to pick on them. I might, but... When you go to the doctor and he writes you a prescription, first of all, normally you can't read it, right? You know, it's very difficult. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Bernstein, you may have perfect, uh, you know, uh, penmanship. Why don't you use it on prescriptions? I don't know, but, but doctors don't do that. So you take that prescription that you can't read, you take it into a pharmacist, and he takes that prescription that you can't read, and he goes into the back room, and he mixes up some kind of concoction, and he comes back out in a little bit with some pills, and he says, take these pills three times a day for two weeks, and what do you do? You do it. You take it home. So you have to have faith in him that uh, he's going to do what you need done and it's the best thing for you. So faith is not blind. It takes trust. Knowledge, knowing that this guy is a pharmacist and he knows his art. He knows his craft. For us as Christians, good decisions or choices require faith in realizing that God has a plan. He knows what he's doing when involved in our lives. He has a plan for his children. And if we look back in the past, the things that God's done for us, we realize that he's faithful in all that he says he will do. See, the children of Israel had to be reminded of that same thing many times, didn't they? 
I mean, if you read Samuel, they went back and he reminded the children of Israel, one of the things that you need to do. If we read in Acts, Stephen went back and recounted all of the faithfulness that God had done. So there's reason to put faith because we see what God has done for us in the past. So that decision-making begins with a realization that God wants to take care of us. And then you submit your actions to God's perfect will for your life. And then you humbly follow his directions. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. All of you know this verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil or not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So if we realize that God has that plan for us, His plan is not to harm us, then why wouldn't we make our decisions based upon what God says? When we make the decisions, uh, decisions in our lives, why wouldn't we seek God's will first in our lives? But we don't do that. We don't do that. Just like the pharmacist, the pharmacist, he doesn't make a plan to harm you. When he goes back there and mixes that concoction, it's a plan to make you well. When God says, this is what I have for you, it's a plan for you to be well, not to harm you. Faith enables us to choose God's plan over our own plan. You know, so many times in my life, I've looked at things that I thought was a right decision. And so many times when I look back on it, it wasn't the right decision. I had this still small voice telling me, Gary, that's the wrong thing to do. In general terms, it's faith that helps us choose God's plan over our own. That's what many heroes of the faith did. They saw God's plan in a long-term plan. Not just today, but what's out there. See, God looks down those long corridors of history and see what's right for each of us. The plan we choose may please us more for the short time. I mean, how many times have you purchased something? It's called buyer's remorse now, right? You bought something and you said, this is going to make my life so much better. And then after you have to start making the payments for it, or you have to do the maintenance for it, or you have to do all these things, you realize that really wasn't the right plan, was it? It seemed at the time, in the short term, and in the moment, and in the now, that that was the right thing to do. And sometimes we make those kind of decisions about life-changing things. The plan of our own may even seem to make more sense in the short term. Have you ever seen God's uh, direction in your life, something that you, uh, you just are convinced that God is telling you through his Holy Spirit, and you kind of get that, are you kidding me, God? Have you ever done that? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that, but I've done that sometimes. God has, has revealed something to me, and I just feel that the Holy Spirit is urging me to do something, and I said, that can't possibly be right. That doesn't make any sense. Look at Abraham. God says, pick up your family and I want you to go here. He says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
I'm comfortable right here. I want to stay right here and do what I'm doing. But if we assume that God's ways are higher than our ways, as we begin to understand that God's will is perfect and his plan for us is perfect, then those decisions require faith that God intends not to harm us. As our relationship deepens, we can see his perfect will for our lives. You know, when a relationship is strained, one of the first things that we do is we break off communication, don't we? And as we break off communications, then when people try to, try to put those pieces back together, occasionally one in the relationship will say, uh, we need to talk. And you usually say, you're the last person I want to talk to. Or you get embarrassed to talk to that person. But as long as that relationship stays and the communication is strong, then we're able to continue communicating. That's the way it is with us in God. We need to invest time and study to strengthen our relationship. I hope, as pastors mentioned so many times, that you're reading the scriptures daily. That you're using uh, the helps that we have. Boy, and you can go onto the internet and you can find all kinds of garbage. But you can also go on the internet and you can find some things that are good. Some things that are placed there to help you study the Bible. Some things that are placed there to remind you to do your daily devotionals is that's what you need. But that's what we have to do as a people to strengthen that relationship with God. However, how, Ever difficult it may seem for us, we need to yield our plans to his plans. And we can only do that as we draw closer and closer to him. I want to take a look at Moses. I told you we were going to be in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And all of you sitting there and say, man, you've talked for 10 minutes and you haven't opened the Bible yet. No, I had you open it when you first started. Okay, But turn to the 24th verse in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. This is the faith chapter. This is the faith chapter. We're going to talk a little bit about Moses. And I'm going to assume that you know a lot about Moses. You, you know that he was in the bulrushes. You know, we sung that song when I was a little kid. I love that. You know, I don't know if we still teach that anymore. But uh, we know the story about Moses. So let's take a look at verse 24 and see what it says here. Verse 24 in the 11th chapter says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known or called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, you know the story, remember? You know, Pharaoh was very upset, so he's killing all the babies. And so when, and uh, he went to the midwives, and he said, you've got to do something to stop this, these Hebrews. You know, they're just having all these kids. And so the midwives, you know, they were kind of in collusion with him. But uh, when Moses was born, his sister, with his mother's help, took him and, and put him in a basket and sealed that basket and put it in the river. And then as, as the river carried this basket down along the banks of the river there, Pharaoh's daughter, when she came to bathe in the morning, she found this basket. And, and his sister was, was watching that. And she said, I've got somebody that can take care of him. And as the story goes on and on, then Moses was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, was Moses an Egyptian? No. Moses was a Hebrew. 
but he was raised as an Egyptian. He had every advantage that he could possibly have. As Stephen uh, was recorded as saying in Acts 7.22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was powerful in speech and action. Moses had it all. He went to the best schools. He had unlimited funds. He had the fastest cars. He had everything that was available. Okay, he didn't have a car. But if it, in today, he would have had the fastest cars. He would have the best that money could buy, and he was surrounded and advised by the most powerful people. Moses had arrived. Moses was a blessed young man. But Moses, it says here, and we know the story, made a choice. And he made that choice by faith. He made the choice not to be called Pharaoh's daughter. This took faith because it get, went against what the world said was best for Moses. You know, sometimes we make choices and we make decisions based on faith. But the outside world says, are you crazy? You've got everything you could possibly want. You've got the best education. You have a job here in town. And you tell me you're going to give that up and you're going to go to somewhere in Malaysia and you're going to take your family, and you're going to serve God, you're going to, what do we say, throw all that away? That's exactly what Moses did. And why did Moses do that? Because he knew that God had a better plan for him. He could have pretended to be what he appeared to be. He could have played that role. He was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. He was a child of God. He was not the Pharaoh's daughter. But he was living in that role at the time. He realized when he saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew that something was wrong. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. He was seeing injustices against God's people. This wasn't the life he longed for. And you know, some point, Moses, just like sometimes we see a life that we've been put in and maybe chose for ourselves in the moment that if it continues down that path, we're headed for disappointment. And Moses began to see that difference. We assume all the time when we're in those roles. And we could assume, look at this. I mean, tonight Joel's going to talk about Esther. Right, Pastor Joel? He's going to talk about Esther. You know, and Esther stayed inside, okay, and did what she could do. Moses could have done the same thing, right? He could have stayed right where he was as the son of the Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, the grandson of the Pharaoh. He could have stayed right there. And he could have uh, taken care of all these injustices, right? It's not likely. That's what happens to us so many times is we choose positions, we choose things that say, I know this gets away of me serving God, but I'm only going to do this for a time. And I can really do some good things for the kingdom of God if I stay there. But the problem that comes with that is at some point when we assume that we can stay faithful, the same time we're being taken advantage of by the world. And while we think we can take advantage of all the world has to offer, it's a slippery slope. The more we take advantage, the more it takes advantage of us. 
It drags us farther and farther away from our faithfulness. Things start to get in the way. It becomes easier and easier and easier to to do the things that seem to make sense, not paying attention to the plan that God has for us. So Moses made a choice. He chose to be authentic over the prestige that the world offered at the time. He makes another choice in verse 25. He chooses denial over pleasure. Verse 25 says, where are we here? He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. See, Moses didn't stay where he was. He saw some injustices. He saw some problems that were going on, and he made a choice. Why would it have been sinful for Moses to stay in Pharaoh's court? Why is it called sin? Because that wasn't God's plan. Could Moses have enjoyed all the world had to offer and still fought for the injustice? Remember, Pharaoh wanted the Israelites wiped out. That hadn't changed at this point. He must, it must have been hidden from him that Moses was one of the condemned. But Moses acted like an Egyptian. He had an Egyptian name. God had a plan for Moses just as God has a plan for each of us. And as Jeremiah recorded, it's not to harm us, but the best for us. To continue in power where Moses was, he had to compromise. It's an ugly word, isn't it? Had to compromise. Co-promise. Compromise. Agree with someone else. Do something else knowing that God was in control. The longer he stayed in Pharaoh's house, the harder it would be for him to be faithful to the Lord. For us, choosing the wrong path indeed can be pleasurable for a short time. Sin is pretty. Sin is attractive. Or we wouldn't do it. The long term, that pleasure turns to disappointment. We've all been there. Moses also had, in verse 26, a choice to make regarding heavenly rewards and earthly riches. In verse 26, it says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Romans 8, 18 says, What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. See, we say that. We even sing those songs. I'm just a pilgrim here. Heaven is my home. You know, we sing that. I know I'm going to have those riches in heaven, but when it comes right down to it, choosing to eschew what the world has to offer us, we so many times have to make a choice. And the only way we can make that choice is by faith. And knowing that the one who has promised us those rewards will be faithful, faithful, faithful every day. Will be faithful every day. Before we know it, we're seeing our rewards here and ignoring the reward is to come. We begin to forget about that. Let me just dabble right here for a little while. Let me just stay here because it's so pleasurable. You know, I'll take care of that someday. I'll get there someday. 
I'll reap that reward, God. Just let me, let me have all the things here. You know, yeah, it takes a little compromise. But I can do it. I can stay faithful. I can do it. Well, obviously, Moses, where he was in this position of authority, where he was in a position of power, his rewards were there. I mean, that guy probably had a gold bathtub, for Pete's sakes. Okay, maybe not. They bathed in the Nile. I think that's what his mother did. That's where she found him. But he could have had a gold bathtub if he wanted. But it says he thought it better to suffer for the sake of Christ, to suffer along with those around him, to suffer with his people because he had his eye on what he was looking towards. For the short-term reward of success, fame, money, comfort, or whatever, we've traded in on our long-term investment in Christ. Are we making the same kind of investments in the heavenly kingdom as we do here on earth? Moses saw this, and he rejected the pleasures of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us and warns us and says, you know, that's not right. That's not what I want you to do. Let's look at verse 27. Choose God-pleasing over people-pleasing. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Boy, that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. But we know who he's talking about. He's talking about his God. He kept his eyes on him. Pharaoh said in Exodus 10, 28, I love this, the way the NIV says it. Uh, remember when, when Pharaoh finally told the children of Israel to leave, he didn't just say, okay, you guys take off. He says, get out of here. Pharaoh shouted at Moses, I'm warning you, never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Now, this wasn't his grandfather. This was another Pharaoh. But, you know, still the same. He was a man at one time had been uh, uh, well-established. He was a man who could have had everything. And, and he had to choose over whether he was going to please Pharaoh and all of those or whether he was going to please God. It was a personal relationship with God that changed Moses. That's what changes our hearts, is that personal relationship with God. Moses' whole reason for being changed once he knew God was real and God was personal and God cared. And the way we know that is drawing closer and closer to him each day. God met his needs. Moses says, I can't do this. God says, this is the way you do it. Moses says, I'm not able to do that. God says, you can do it with my power. That's the same we are today. You say, God, I can't do this. He says, everything's possible with God. God was faithful to do what he promised in all of those situations. He's faithful to do what he promises today. So when we look at said, I have to depend on my own self for these things. God, you can supply these things if you want to. God says, that's not the way it works. I want to be God of everything. I want to be God of all that you are. I want you to be what I want you to be. Everything else that Moses had, everything else that Moses had seen 
paled in comparison to the glory of God. We cannot imagine. You know, we're studying revelations right now with Pastor George. But we can't imagine what heaven's going to be like. But my God says it's going to be so much better than what's here. And I want the best for you, he says. Who cares if Pharaoh got angry? You want to see wrath, God says? Pharaoh, you just watch and I'll show you wrath. I'm going to send you ten judging plagues to teach who is the one who we should want to please. Not man, but God. It taught the Israelites who was more important. Moses feared Pharaoh at first. He used to fear the king's anger. That's why he fled from Egypt. But over time and experience with God, Moses was reduced, or Pharaoh was reduced in Moses' mind. Pharaoh's army was reduced. His power was reduced. His wealth was reduced. His gods were reduced. As Pharaoh seemed smaller in Moses' eyes, God seemed stronger. As we begin to see that the world's things that they offer are so small, the things that God offers are so much longer. You spend time with the real God, and you'll have a bigger view of who He is and a smaller view of who you are or anywhere else, anyone else. It's not about pleasing man. It's about pleasing God. It's a daily choice that we have to make. Just like whether you're going to get up in the morning, what you're going to wear, you have to choose today what I'm going to do with God. It starts with self-denial and choosing to honor God with your day rather than self. Then it moves to choosing to not worry about what others think and say so much as what God thinks and what He has to say. Hmm, That's a tough one. That's one of the hardest things we have to do is moving away from what the world thinks but what God thinks. It all boils down to one question. Well, it's the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? Who do we love more? Ourselves? Others? Or God? And finally in verse 28... Choose to serve God and keep His commands. Verse 28 says, By faith He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Essentially, he had to choose what he was going to do with life. There was something that completely didn't make sense to him. As God spelled out to him what the Passover would involve, what they had to do to protect the children of Israel as God visited this last plague on the people. It didn't make sense to him. Sometimes those things don't. But because he put his faith in God and recognizing who God was, what plan God had for his life, and all of the things that he had already seen happen in his life, just like us today, if we sat down and counted our many blessings and named them one by one, we would see what our amazing God has done. And as Moses did that, He kept that, and that brought them salvation. That brought them from that place. 
Joshua 24, 15 says, And if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. If you're not going to serve God, he says, Joshua saying to those prophets of Baal, then choose who you're going to serve. Don't just sit there on the fence. Make a choice. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors serve uh, beyond the Euphrates? He's saying those things that you've seen before, is that what you want? Those things that, that didn't bring you joy, are them either? Is that what you want? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? Is it going to be your surroundings? Is it going to be the place that you find yourself today? Is that going to be your God? But he says, as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. You can do anything you want, but I'm going to serve God. And that's our challenge today. We can try to serve the world. We can try to serve our jobs. We can try to serve all of these things and say, right now this is my God. Later on I'll serve the Lord. And it won't work. And Moses knew that. Because his relationship with God brought him to the realization that he needed to choose the Lord But he could only do it by faith. And that faith got stronger as his relationship got stronger. We need to make a choice. Every day, the first thing we do is choose who we'll serve. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you as uh, humbly in seeking your face. We just ask, Father, that you help us to be more faithful to you each day. Father, there may be some here this morning who has not made that first choice. And they still need to choose today who they'll serve initially. They need to decide and put it all on the line and say, Father, I'll I'll choose you. Father, we pray that uh, this time will continue on that as people go, that it's not the words I said, uh, that they'll take their Bibles, they'll they'll read, they'll, they'll seek what you have to say for their lives as individuals. Father, we love you, and we pray all these things in your precious Son's name.